Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from U.S. Tax Reform 2.0 to the OECD's latest developments. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's U.S. International Tax Services Leader. You can find these podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash Doug McConey. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're back in Westminster Studios in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm excited to be joined by Ugo Alessiobi. Ugo is a newly minted international tax partner in our international tax consulting practice in New York City. Ugo, congratulations on your admission to the partnership in July, and welcome to the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast. Thanks so much, Doug. I'm so glad to be here. Well, it's very exciting, and I understand this is your first trip here to St. Louis. Very much so, that's true. That's true. So welcome to the middle of the Midwest. I understand that you have been to Michigan, which I think many people, including myself, refer to that as the Midwest, but uh, this is more Midwest proper, so to speak. And Anything you'd like to see or do while you're here in, in St. Louis? Yeah, well, I want to go to, I want to see the Arch. All right. The is like super famous, and then I guess I want to go to downtown and see what the life looks like. Well, we, I can accommodate both of those. Um, Ero Saarinen is the architect of the arch. It is an amazing piece of architecture that those yes. of us in St. Louis are, are very proud of. And uh, it's right close to Bush Stadium, which is also something I'm very proud of where my St. Louis Cardinals play, but you might oh. be less excited about that. No, it's cool. I like the Cardinals as well. All right. Don't know much about them, but I like them. Well, the, all right. You're making friends already. <laughs> all right. Well, Ugo, let's get into the topic at hand. So, A Harvard Business Review article that was published in November of 2021, so just last week, discusses what's being referred to as the great resignation of 2021. It highlights that companies are seeing upwards of 30% attrition in certain job categories. It mentioned that some industrial clients are seeing more than 100% turnover in some of their plants, while tech and data science employers describe the turnover and churn as, quote, unrelenting. While there were, not surprisingly, no specifics mentioned about international tax professionals, I wanted to spend some time today talking about your career path, why you decided to stick with international tax, and what tips you have for someone that is exploring opportunities within the profession. So let's start with, why international tax? How did you get involved in the field, and why why did you choose to get involved, or maybe it found you? Yeah, It's a little bit of a long story, and it's a mix of me wanting to purposefully get into it and it finding me. Um, As you may know, I grew up in Nigeria. um, And Nigeria, depending on what decade you're talking about, has been on a sliding slope of um, economic, social, um, I I guess, decline. Mm -hmm. Um, While I was there, there was a point in time where I looked and I thought about my future. And I said to myself, what do I want to do in the future and I thought one of the things I really want to do is I want to do something important I want to do something significant I want to from a business perspective work on transactions that you read up in the newspaper and say hey this happened and for you to be in the know and say hey yes I, I actually knew this company was acquiring that company you want to work on the big deals I get it kind of that yeah, yeah. but I, and then I, I said you know I can't really do that here I was working at a law firm at the time in Nigeria and I thought how do I how do I how do I go overseas? How do I work on these transactions? Where do I need to be to be able to do this kind of work? And I I didn't my parents are not rich, wealthy or anything. Um, I don't know anybody, don't have any connections. And I thought really the only way I can get out of here is through academics. And so I had a brochure from a university and the internet had just become a little popular then. So I just sent a bunch of emails to a bunch of schools 
telling them, here are my results. I had just gotten like a really good result from law school. So I was like, here are my results. I don't have any money. If you admit me, I'm sure you'll be happy. I was part of your school, your profile. Um, a bunch of schools responded to me. Um, LSU, mm -hmm. Louisiana, Louisiana State, State yeah. responded and gave me a full scholarship, which was amazing. Um, and that was for an LLM program? That was for an LLM program. Um, that was sort of the means of getting out of the country. Mm -hmm. Now, what would I do when I actually got out of the country? I said I was working at a law firm. At the time, we used to work on financing transactions at the law firm. And I thought to myself, well, if you don't have any connections and you're a minority and you're trying to leave the country and you want to have a successful future, what should you do? And I thought, well, one thing you want to do is you want to try to answer the most complicated questions you can find because there's a direct there's a direct correlation between how much you get paid and the level of complexity of the questions you sure. sort of answer. I was a lawyer already, so I said, well, it's going to have to be transactions. And I know everyone hates tax. And I'm like, well, if everybody hates tax, that means nobody wants to do it. So somebody's going to have to pay you a lot of money to do it. So I went into tax. So I got to LSU, and I had this wonderful professor, Susan Kalinka. And um, I took tax one, took tax two with her. U.S. tax very different from tax in America. And she was amazing. She said, you know, you have to go to NYU if you want to do tax, and you have to work in New York. And so she paid for my application to go to NYU. I wow. applied to NYU, got into NYU, finished at LSU, got into NYU, finished at NYU, and then started working at PwC. So that's how that worked out. And and your, what was your, the LLM that you got at LSU? That was, was that tax-focused? No, L, the LSU, at, sorry, the LLM at LSU was a, was a research-based commercial um, LLM. Okay. So it was just uh, basically securities and transactions. And then when you went to New York, then obviously you focused on, obviously, the tax program, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously very well-respected. And then when you started with, with the firm, did you start right into international tax or was there an option between M&A or so, uh, state and local taxes or international? How did, how did you end up at, at the international tax doorstep? I started with international tax and that was primarily because um, one of the partners, Suchi Lee, mm -hmm. had interviewed me um, and Suchi really liked me. He called me. So I interviewed with Suchi and three other partners. I left the PwC building and started taking the train back into West Village to go back to NYU. And I actually got a call on the train from Suchi saying, hey, do you really want, do, would you like to work for me? And I said, of course. And he was like, yeah, come start in September. I'm like, okay, good. So an advocate and, and a sponsor yes. is, is really what's, what's important to, to draw the talent. Yeah, it's interesting, Hugo. So I had a similar experience in that um, I have an under. I did both of my undergrad and law school at University of Missouri, so a fellow now SEC school to to your LSU. Um, we I, I don't talk any trash about athletics at this point of Missouri's state of affairs, but I'm still a huge fan. Um, and uh, it was after I, I knew after getting my accounting degree, I thought that I did not want to be an accountant. I was like, mm -hmm. well, I kind of got that degree, and I was like, well, I'll go to law school, and I thought I would be a litigator. And uh, after my first year in law school, I took my first trip outside the U.S. and I went to Europe with one of my buddies and we did a backpacking experience. And I was like, it was just eye-opening and just gave me a lot of confidence being, you know, traveling on my own for the first time and just really being able to see the world for the first time. 
And then what we have in common is that second year in law school, I took my first tax class, which turned out to be a close friend, a mentor, Michelle Cecil, who was our tax professor. And it was the first class that I took in law school that I was just, that it clicked. I enjoyed it. She was just an amazing person, amazing professor. I liked the analytical aspects of right and wrong answers, particularly after struggling through the nebulousness of constitutional law, for example. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is stuff. You learn the rules, you apply the rules, and you know, there's generally an answer. Now, of course, as we've progressed in the career, mm -hmm. I've realized that that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. But, and she really helped kind of guide and sponsor me. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, we didn't even offer international tax. I assume you took, there was an international tax class at NYU. There I don't was. Know if it's, there and was. there wasn't one in my law school, but I just knew I liked to travel internationally. I liked tax. <laughs> And I'm serious. That was like, I was like, let's try it. And then after my second year in law school, I got an internship with the now defunct Arthur Anderson in international tax. And I, I just enjoyed the, the, the specialty. But if it wasn't for Michelle Cecil, who in fact, I just saw this past weekend, I went to a Mizzou tailgating game where we narrowly defeated South Carolina. Um, and I was able to catch up with her. She has since retired. But you know, having somebody that sponsors and really can guide you through those early points of your career is really important. I agree. Um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's fundamental. Um, and for many of us, whether you're economically or socially disadvantaged, it's very difficult for there to be any other alternatives without a mentor or someone who's like dragging you out from mm -hmm. that place that you're in. The other important lesson, which I give to you know a lot of young people, and, and you've probably heard me give some of this messaging as, as part of my role, is about being proactive. And the fact of just firing off a bunch of emails, asking, like, if you don't ask, right, about like, hey, is there an opportunity for me to come to this university? Hey, is there an opportunity for scholarship? Just being proactive in life, it can be you know, have just such positive consequences. And it's it's really neat to hear that you just were sitting in Nigeria and just started firing off emails across the ocean saying, hey, can I show up and I, I wanna learn and I wanna grow and is there an opportunity for me? And it, you found that. Yeah, I think I, th I think the there's a couple of things that are really fundamental there. First of all, you have to do a lot of hard work on your own, you know, where a lot of people don't see the hard work you're doing, but you have to do it. And that gives you the basis to reach out to people so that people have a reason to have some faith in you to take a chance. Because if you just fire off emails into the void, I mean, people will say, well, who's this person who's emailing? And then you give them something based on what you've done and say, hey, I've actually done some work on my own, either to learn the background or to try to do well scholastically, et cetera. And then they can use that to say, well, maybe I'll take a chance on this person and show some faith and, and do some good. And yeah, a combination of those two things generally should give you a chance to be in the position to receive favor, I guess. Right. <clears throat> All right. So between, I mean, there's a lot going on in the profession. And, um, you know, we talked about the great, res you know, I mentioned the great resignation that we're hearing about. And, you know, obviously, both of us are very passionate about the international tax as a profession. But I will mention that between U.S. tax reform 2.0, BEPS 2.0, other changes, DSTs we're seeing across the globe, this is definitely the most dynamic environment I've seen in our profession in the 22 years that I've been practicing. And I do think that sometimes turns people off from joining the field as it can be viewed as overly complicated. 
what's your reaction to that? And how can we persuade people in the field that that really this is what makes it fun? And I think you already actually alluded to the point that this is one of the complexity is what makes our particular profession valuable, right? Because it is so complex that, you know, people need help navigating this very narrow area of the law. Yeah, I think that one thing that I've encountered among a few of my friends and colleagues over time is there's a subset of people who really like being able to help other people understand things, just as a general concept, not related to tax, not related to anything, just helping people understand things. And sometimes those things are really complex things. And some people have a good ability to break down complex things and try to make them simple. For those people, on the face of it, international tax is a wonderful thing because it's very amazing to sit on a call or sit in a meeting with a client or a bunch of clients and try to talk them through these complexities that you're talking about in a manner that is intelligent, intelligibly, and that's actually appreciated. So so if you're the kind of person who you feel like you like helping people understand things, international tax is one of the best places you can be. That's one. Two, the complexity itself is neither a plus nor a minus. The world is complex. Life is complex. And people are complex. And I think that one, if you're thinking about what to do for a career and you look at, from my perspective, the economic state of professions, If you're not going to be a doctor or a scientist in the hard sciences, if you're going to be anything in the social sciences and you believe in sort of or you enjoy walking through the hard stuff, I think international tax is a wonderful thing, is a wonderful place to do it. You don't have to be a lawyer. You can be an accountant. Right. Um, You can be a CPA. We have economists. I think also, even if you're neither an economist, a lawyer or an accountant, etc. If you show enough aptitude and you show enough zeal, I think that you can, I think international tax is one of the places that you can break into because what, what do we look for? We look for people who love complexity. We look for people who are able to do the work. We look for people who have a good attitude and we look for people who want to learn. And whether it's BEPS 2.0 build back better, whatever it is that's going on, maybe this time is a good time because as the world gets more complicated and more advanced, um, the rules have to sort of try to catch up and that's kind of how the law is. The law is generally behind the state of society. Um, Those complexities are going to be what the future requires and please, if you feel like that is your aptitude, come do it. We would love for you to come do it and also you would enjoy it for sure. Yeah, I've never really heard it put like that, but I I love it, Ugo, in that I I love teaching. I always thought that that may be something I Mm -hmm. might want to do later in my career. But fundamentally, we all as international tax professionals spend a lot of time doing exactly that, distilling complex things into into a, a more simple way to try to explain it. And whether that we're doing that to a client, whether we're doing it to a new associate, whether we're doing it to a, a partner, maybe outside our particular field, um, I, I do find that very rewarding. And, it, and it's probably one of the reasons that I've stuck with this for, for, for as long as I have. One other comment that I would make just on how dynamic the profession is, and I, I think that's fun, right? I mean, the complexity is, is, you know, you're right, inherent in everything that we do as human beings, as professionals. 
But I think our area of the law, and, and I also think you made a really good point to digress for a minute, that you're right, both of us are lawyers, but there are lots of us within the profession that are not lawyers. And in fact, as you all know, I mean, we have a whole technology group even yeah. within yeah. our particular practice where we're looking for data scientists and programmers and computer whizzes, right, to also be in this area. So whether you're an accountant, an economist, a lawyer, in the technology, you know, have a technology background, all of those are relevant. But the, the, just the pure dynamic nature of what we do is fairly unique, I think, in, in the various professions that are available to us and that the laws are just constantly changing. And, you know, for the first, you know, 10 to 15 years of my career, things were relatively stable with, before we ended up with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And it's just seems like there's been this momentum that has picked up really in the past 10 years where it's just been so incredibly dynamic. And for me, that's a lot of fun because you're constantly having to think through new things, understand new concepts, be, have to boil them down and, and explain those to, to whether it's you know new, new people that are joining the firm, clients or, or whatever. And the, the dynamic nature of that, I find very exciting and exhilarating. It's just like every day there's something to learn, right? And it's just like, and every day I'm like, well, I didn't appreciate that rule or that's, and with international tax, it's like, you can spend, I mean, we could spend 24 hours a day just trying to figure out all the US rules. And then we have all the international stuff to deal with too, which obviously we have experts outside the US to advise, but we have to be able to process it and explain it all. Yeah, the processing and the explaining part is, actually quite tricky every time you get into a new client right the first thing you have to do basically is understand the client's business and it's not usually anything you've encountered before and if you go through like the eras of our times you've had the industrial entities you have the manufacturing entities the tech and then now you have like so many tech entities right Mm -hmm. and just understanding the tech space has been a challenge for many people but think about not just understanding the tech space but understanding the tax implications related to the tech space So whether you're dealing with a situation where everything as a service is now the norm or you're dealing with even things like cryptocurrency, et cetera, where Web 3.0 is overcoming Web 2.0 and people are like moving completely into this whole new metaverse world where we have to figure out what's going on in that sphere. Just trying to be able to talk about that in tax terms is such a level of um, excitement and requires a level of aptitude that, you know, the basic lawyer, the basic accountant is not just going to be able to answer those questions. So we're happy for people from any field mm-hmm. who have an interest in tax to bring what they have into tax and just make it better. And international tax is, there's no better place to do it than in international tax for real. Yeah, and that's certainly a case for, for being an, an advisor is it? I, I enjoy being yeah. able to work across a bunch of different sectors, a bunch across the different businesses, and then really understanding the businesses in addition to thinking through the international tax implications yeah, yeah. Are, is fascinating. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience kind of coming up through the ranks. Um, what was your experience like as a new associate? Because we're certain, I think, across the industry, seeing a lot of, of turnover, people questioning kind of what they want to do when they grow up, which is certainly something, you know, that I experienced even as a new associate. It's like, is this really what I want to do? And um, what challenges did you did you face and anything come to mind kind of when you were starting that, that was a challenge for, for you in the getting going in the profession uh this one is interesting and there's i have a few personal stories that i don't know if i'm going to share them here but um when i started i started off on a team that was working on a large transaction a company had just split into three and was um sort of creating three separate structures from the existing structure 
And I was just a newly minted associate then, and I joined this team. And one of the first thing I realized was law school doesn't give you anything close to the amount of Excel preparation that you need. Right. And PowerPoint, from what I remember. And PowerPoint. <laughs> PowerPoint, I feel like add, I feel like I've always had a good aptitude on PowerPoint, mainly because I spend a lot of time in PowerPoint. But Excel, I had only done ever like one or two things in Excel ever at NYU. And I come into this client and it's just Excel schedules. Every presentation involves Excel schedules. Every every calculation and deliverable had some Excel component mm-hmm. to it. And I felt like I was letting my team down because I knew that they needed me to be helpful. But in the first couple of weeks, I just didn't know how these formulas worked, et cetera. So what I, one thing I did, the manager on the account, actually, whom I absolutely love, um, Bei Fongo, she said to me, um, you know, PwC has um, all these trainings um, sitting on the whatever the system was called at the time mm-hmm. that maybe you should take one of those classes. So I went in and I looked for the Excel trainings and they have level one, level two, advanced Excel, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just spent, it took about two or three weekends and I spent some time just going through <laughs> the Excel trainings. And then I remember about a month into that engagement, they gave me one of these assignments to do and I went and I it had Excel in it. And I quickly ran through that and I came back and my manager was like, oh, wow, this took you much less time. I'm like, oh, yeah. And then she started walking through the schedule and looking at the formulas in it. And she was like, oh, I didn't know this formula and I didn't know that formula. And I'm like, oh, wait, that formula is kind of basic under mm-hmm. whatever. And she's like, yeah, this is good. And then I, I, I realized that you need to put in effort. Sure. You're going to need to spend your own time trying to figure out some of this stuff. You're going to, you want to try to, you inherently want to be able to explain things. You inherently want to be able to to be helpful to other people. That requires you to understand what you're doing. And it requires you to spend your own time understanding what you're doing. And so since then, um, my weekends, most times I read something or the other related mm-hmm. to tax. So whenever someone asks me, what are you reading? I'm like, well, you mean besides regs? Right. Here's what I'm attempting to read this weekend. That's usually how I spend my... So that formative thing happened to me as an associate. I, it was great. I still remember it. I still try to take trainings that aren't necessarily like the tax-centric trainings. Right. I find that helpful. Yeah, so that as an associate was quite challenging. But once once the team finds that you're helpful and you can contribute, they embrace you. Everything is wonderful, and you kind of make progress from there. It's so, self perpetuating, right? Yes. And and I mean, I I give this advice to to our you know the the new associates is you got to spend some time outside of work, but which means you have to have some interest in it, right? And we hear a lot about following your passions, right? And <laughs> And you know, it, like, listen, I I love the work that we do, right? But we're 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 international tax professionals, and I think I definitely have a passion for for the work. I would say my passion is more about the people that we work with and trying to make a positive difference in in people's lives. But you know, you have to take that extra step outside of work and spend in weekends figuring out Excel or spending some weekends going through like the international tax nutshell, for example. It's not that sexy, right? But it can really propel your career and then give faith in, in your team members to, to then want to use you. And that's really the name of the game, particularly in your career, is just getting that exposure and that opportunity to collect the experiences that are going to help as you progress. Yeah, and, and I guess if you think about it, if you're trying to differentiate yourself from your peers or you're trying to differentiate yourself or get attention 
with um, the more senior people on your account. The easiest way to do it is to be technical mm -hmm. and to show an aptitude for technical for tax technical um, items. And so it's hard for you to it's hard when you don't put in the extra work for you to differentiate yourself. And mm -hmm. if you don't differentiate yourself, then it sort of cuts across things like, you know, advancements, um, staying in the in within the career, et cetera. And then you potentially lose interest and maybe leave the system. So yeah, if this stuff interests you, show and you show that it had that it does interest you, you put in the work. If you put in the work, you get the attention, you create the differentiation, it causes advancements, things kind of get better. And the harder you work, the more luck you have, pretty right. much. I love it. So as you moved up the ranks, Ugo, and got closer to admission to the partnership, were you ever tempted to leave? And and why did you stick around for that 12, 13 years, whatever it was, through that through that process? Uh, yeah. Uh, I did consider leaving. I actually interviewed a couple of times. Um, I got to the point, I got to a point in my career where I felt like I was lost in the system. Mm -hmm. um, and someone had someone had in, initiated the partnership development program with my name in it, but it didn't seem like it was making any progress. I was just attending a bunch of seminars over and over and over year and year after year, and I didn't really know what was happening next or what was supposed to happen. Um, and so I felt like you know, being here at PwC wasn't really um, advancing my career. Also, I've always been curious about just doing more than being within the tax um, silo. Mm -hmm. I don't like being thought of as a tax advisor. I like being a business advisor sure. that specializes in the tax space. So I want to know if you have a financing question, a treasury question, um, an FX question, a commercial question, a supply chain question, a technology question, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then... I can definitely solve your tax question, right. but I also want to know all these questions. Um, and I felt like, of course, at PwC, if you're doing what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, you're, you find yourself mostly in international tax, just doing the tax stuff. And that branching out to a different company would help expand that the need to you know, provide that additional or get that additional vista to provide those services. So yeah, I consider leaving. Um, and what made you stick around? I stuck around because, um, interestingly, we had a change in leadership in New York. And um, Chris Gilbert, when he started in New York, Chris Gilbert is one of our leaders in, in, in New York. When Chris started in New York, and I didn't know him because, as I said, I don't know people. Mm -hmm. It's not my skill to, to socialize in that manner. But one of the earliest things Chris did was, I think, he went out and spoke to a few directors. I wasn't one of them, but he spoke to a few directors and said, hey, what do I need to change around here? What do I need to do better around here? What needs to work better around here? And someone had mentioned to him, well, you need to go talk to your directors who are buried under a lot of work and mm -hmm. you know, are just not visible. And someone had mentioned my name. And so this guy walks across my office, pokes his head in and says, hey, I'm Chris Gilbert, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd heard that he had moved to head New York, but of course I didn't know anything about him. I hadn't met him before. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'd like to get to know you. Um, I want to get to know what you're working on and I want to see what I can do to help you. And for the next two years, all he said was, 
I want to know what you're working on. I want to see how I can help you. I want to see how you can do better. And the the partnership development program that I had been in and had been you know stunted for a while just woke up and suddenly started moving. And Chris was a huge contributor to all of that. And that was the reason why I stayed because after the conversations I had with Chris, I saw a path to becoming a partner. And if you're a partner, you realize that you own a small part of the business. You become entrepreneurial completely. You mm -hmm. sink and you sink or float based on, you know, your entrepreneurial skills. And I realized that if I want if I want to do more, whether it's be more than a tax advisor or whether it's be a concrete tax advisor, I can absolutely do that as an entrepreneur. And I can be an entrepreneur at PwC if I'm a partner. And because I can see a path to being a partner, I can stay here to do that. And so that was sort of the genesis and the path through which I then I was like, well, if all, if everything I want, I'm going to get it here. I, I feel like I should give it a shot. Well, we're glad you stuck around. Certainly. I am glad I stuck around. <laughs> um, so let's move a little bit to the 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 pandemic and just mm. how our work has just significantly changed. I, I guess really it's not really how our work; it's how we work okay. has has significantly changed. How has the pandemic impacted? you and how you work with your team, particularly you've been a partner for five months now. Um, and you know, you went through that whole process during the pandemic. I mean, just doing virtual call after virtual call. Um, what's that, you know, how has the pandemic impacted and what advice do you have for, for people particularly that are onboarding or starting new in the profession in this kind of crazy new world we're living in? Yeah, my personal experience, um, I find that there are two kinds of people. There are, of course, the introverts and the extroverts. There are people who um, gravitate towards gregarity, and then there are people who find strength in the solace of the work that they do by themselves, right? I fall into the latter, so I am fine working on my own, um, I, supervising I'm, a team remotely. I'm, I'm the other one. You are definitely the other one, yeah. <laughs> so I'm fine working on my The good thing about it is um, I have really close relationships which are very organic with my clients um i like my clients i like the work i do for them and they like me on a personal basis mm -hmm. and so pandemic or no pandemic it was generally easy to stay connected to them and so i have a client who we've had weekly calls for the last 17 18 19 months every single week except maybe christmas or mm -hmm. he's on vacation or sure. something um, I have another client who we FaceTime at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So many of the people we used to work with who we just used to have conference calls with, mm -hmm. now you actually have like video calls and that's a really easy thing. Everybody now has video calls and you're all comfortable. We're all comfortable having video calls. So the pandemic was helpful at least for, convert, for converting faceless conference calls into video calls. And so you, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a bridge there. So for me, it's been, it's been good. If you have clients whom you've built a connection with, um, you can manage a pandemic type situation by continuing to stay in touch um, and continue to bring them ideas and then mixing business with your everyday interactions. So that's one. Um, for new clients, it's a little bit more challenging in the sense that you need an introduction and then mm -hmm. you need to try to stay connected. I've found that in my practice, originality and being yourself has been a, has been the only sticking point 
that has worked for me in mm-hmm. the sense that when I come off as commercial, when I come off as um, selling something, when I come off as, you know, throwing out scripted lines, um, it just doesn't work because they get information and they get pitches from our clients from everywhere. Mm-hmm. But when I have an honest conversation, when I have a conversation that has some vulnerability, when, you know, I try to do my very best for them and they see the effort that you're putting in, it usually translates into a relationship that has survived the lack of um, physical interaction, mm-hmm. right? So even though it's been virtual, um, some of the clients that I've made in the virtual space actually um, feel like people I know really closely. And so that has worked. So there's a little bit of it on the client side. It mm-hmm. depends on the nature of the client. There's a little bit of it on the advisor side. So it depends on the, na- on the nature of the advisor as well. So for me, that has been um, how I've managed the pandemic from a business what, perspective. What about your team, though? Like as far as particularly with the new associates and yeah. people that have just kind of come on board what has that experience been like? And do you have any advice, particularly for people that are just joining the profession, particularly in professional services, whether it's accounting for law firm, you know, any challenges or, or, or words of wisdom that you've learned as you've gone through this process? Yeah, I have a lot of empathy for people who are just starting. Um, mm-hmm. The challenge is huge. I, I sometimes, last night actually, um, because I was flying, I was up much later than usual. I was looking for a random email and i saw an email someone had written to me and a bunch of other partners saying hey i just started um i'm on the red team um if you have any work let me know etc and i was like oh right this is so cool so they tell you to you know try to stay in touch stay connected etc all of that is true but i also think that i continue to think that and i know it seems like a trope but i i believe it legitimately authenticity is extremely important Mm -hmm. we have we organized um at pwc right we organized connectivity events and then we sent out a list of those connectivity events to the firm and said well would you like to participate which are essentially you know the partners wanting to connect with the rest of the firm Mm -hmm. and i understand that the uptake for those connectivity events was maybe less than 60 percent so not as much as or we would, as hope, we would hope would take right. it but it's not the partners who need to connect it's the staff who need to connect but then they're not taking the opportunity so i found that to be very counterintuitive and i didn't understand that it's certainly a chicken and the egg issue <laughs> to my point on authenticity i think staff should authentically want to connect it's important for your career it's important for the quality of the work you're going to get it's important if you want to be a good advisor that you see how other people work and that you run through different temperaments, you run through different work streams, et cetera. So I feel like on both sides, the partners should continue to try to make significant effort to connect, always keep those channels open. Yep. And then for the staff, I think they also need to maybe go a little bit out of their comfort zone. But also, if you want to connect one-on-one, I'm sure you can reach out to a bunch of partners who are willing to connect one-on-one. For my own teams, what I try to do um, is, I, I guess for me, it's very individual. Mm-hmm. I try to have honest conversations with people. And so I want to know, if I ask you how you're doing, I don't expect a bland answer. I, I don't expect a rote answer. I expect you to tell me exactly how you're doing. And I will tell you how I'm doing. 
I'll tell you I'm tired. I'll tell you if it's been rough. I'll tell you if it's been a, if it's been a struggle. And then as much as I generally, you know, don't do the social thing, mm-hmm. I always tell people that I'm happy to buy you as many lunches and dinners as you want. I will come out to the city. I will come to where you are and buy you lunch and buy you dinner as a team or as an individual if you are in a smaller group, whatever you want, um, if that, you know, keeps you connected. So I appreciate that my own style is not, I don't like large groups of people because mm-hmm. I think people like me get buried within those sort of large groups. And so I appreciate people who also don't want to just be muddled into the whole large connectivity program. And mm-hmm. so I try to make sure there are safe spaces and smaller groups for people to connect with me. And so I have open invitations all the time to just meet up with people and um, to connect authentically i've said it like 20, 29 I, times now <laughs> it's an important theme i, I love it i don't know. have another word right. but I, people should try to be more of themselves so that we can all be better people right right and and the only way to do that is by showing more of yourself so right. yeah i'm happy for people to i'm happy for members of my team to have honest conversations or you know to meet up and and um one of my favorite. One of my favorite. I, I, I want to show up for that, Ugo. What, what, one of the things. One of my favorite sayings, and I'm sure you've heard me say it, is be proactive. And, yeah. and I and I think one of yours is be authentic. And I think both of those can work in tandem, right? Be proactive. Reach out. Send that email. I love the story of like, hey, I'm new to the team. Is there any work? Yeah. I mean, like. You get some attention that way, and you know that you that person is probably somebody who's going to continue to be diligent and proactive and authentic throughout the course of their career. And I think that's a, an important element or an important uh, formula yeah, yeah, yeah. for for success. Agreed. So maybe our last question here, and certainly not the least important, is um, wanted to understand what your experience has been like as a black professional mm. in the specialty of international tax. And any advice that you have for whether it's other black professionals or underrepresented minorities that are looking to get into the field? Yeah. Um, this one has been a struggle. There are, and there continue to be, very few black um, partners, directors, managing directors, not just at the firm, right? It cuts across the industry. Absolutely tax consulting, international tax, finance. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really hard. One thing I think that has really been helpful and I think continues to be helpful is um, sponsor. A sponsor is fundamental. And I think um, people who are willing to put themselves out there to do more for others or do as much for others as has been done for them, of whom I think we have many of them at PwC. Um, I think that has also been critical. That's from the outside. From the inside, I think for me personally, Mm -hmm. to be successful as a minority, one of the first things I try to do is that I ascribe nothing that happens to me to my status as a minority. And I'm able to do that. It's a bit of a luxury, but I'm able to do that because PwC is generally quite egalitarian. Mm -hmm. And so I can start off my thought process about any situation by saying, 
by assuming good faith. So I start off with that. And I hold on to that for as long as I can. I assume good faith and good intentions on anyone, on you, on the people that I've worked with through my career, whether above me, beneath me. I don't, I don't assume that anyone, that anything that is suboptimal happens to me because of, because I'm a minority. So I start off with that. So that mm-hmm. helps me with my own personal mental space. The second thing I do is I try to be competent. And when I say competent, I don't just mean, you know, knowing the job. I try to know, I try to know the job as much as I can and as much as anyone else at the table that I'm sitting on. Because I understand that it is not easy to get a seat at the table. And if you want to see that the table, beyond whether you're a minority or not, you need to bring value to that table. And so I want to make sure while I'm there, I don't have imposter syndrome. I want to feel like I'm here because I deserve to be here and because I'm bringing value. And when I get off the conference call, the client meeting, the client discussion, the internal discussion, I can always say to myself with a clear conscience that I know why I was at that table. I know why I'm here talking to you now. I know why I'm, I know why my clients call me at odd hours. I understand and that they understand that I can provide them with value. Mm-hmm. And that requires a lot of personal work, a lot of personal sacrifice, and a lot of, you know, a lot of showing up, mm-hmm. you know, for yourself and for your clients. Um, those two things, I think, are really the biggest drivers for anything that I've done. One, you know, attributing good intent and holding on to it, because that part is really hard. Sure. And then trying to be as competent as I can I can possibly be um, within these complex times. Ugo. Yes. An amazing conversation. Thank you for your words of wisdom, advice, and, and candor. It's uh, great talking to you and uh, getting to know you a little bit better uh, as part of the Cross Border Tax Talks podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross Border Tax Talks. Thanks again to... Ugo Alisiobi, an international tax partner in PwC's New York Metro International Tax Practice. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's international tax services leader in the U.S. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of the Cross Border Tax Talks podcast. <laughs>